Abba Father, thank you again for a beautiful day. Ask for grace and a spirit of wisdom right now, ears to listen to truth, how we live it out, the difference it makes in our lives. Thank you so much for the uh, people that you brought into my life to encourage me in my journey following you. Please bless right now in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so uh, the Gospel of John, focusing in on um, Barabbas. And you see in John's Gospel here that Barabbas is a robber. So let's dig in. All right, so who is, who is Barabbas? Some biblical references here. Uh, you see it in Matthew 27, the principal references. Uh, his full name, based on some very old manuscripts, is actually Jesus Barabbas. That's his full name. Uh, it is argued, Bruce, that scribes were offended by that. And so they, when they were copying manuscripts, they did not include that name because they thought it offensive to associate his name with the name of Jesus of Nazareth. So his full name is Yesu Barabbas, and it literally means Yehoshua, uh, Jesus, or uh, Yesu is a variant, it's, it's a Greek version of the Hebrew word Yehoshua, also known as Joshua, which is a shorter version, which means Jehovah is my salvation, Jehovah saves. And if you're familiar with, with your, your language here, bar, Barabbas is actually two words in Aramaic Hebrew, bar Abbas. Okay, you've heard of Bartimaeus. Who is Bartimaeus? The son of Timaeus. He's the son of Timaeus. We have no idea what his name is. <laughs> He's just Timmy's boy, <laughs> okay? So we don't know what his name is, or Barjona, Simon Barjona, so you get the idea. So there's a very unique kind of irony that you can see at this point that Barabbas is Bar Abba, son of the father. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Terry, tremendous irony that that is the case. In fact, what is Jesus, how many times did you see Jesus using a reference that, he, that his father, my father, our father, and in fact, in John's gospel, there's a reference where one of the things that, that the religious elite who the, the scribes, the lawyers, the Sadducees claim that he violated one of their laws by making, making himself out to be the son of God. So the irony that the crowd is begging and shouting for Bar Abba, the son of the father, when the son of the father is right next to him. The irony is just cutting, all right, when you get that. So um, it is possible that Barabbas may have been the son of a very well-known rabbi. And we, we know that because the name Abba, Father, was in fact, it, it was a patronym, but it was also a formal name, it, it approved as a formal name, and the term is used to describe and identify scribes and scholars. Um, so it's possible that Barabbas and that the depiction that we get uh, in movies and things is this ugly, scarred, 
savage beast of a guy, you know, this, this low-lifer, drug dealer kind of guy, when that may not be the case at all. That he maybe was a brilliant military strategist. He was a political uh, activist, possibly very well-educated, possibly even in, had some rabbinic training, and he had had enough of what Rome was doing. The, the casting in the movie The Passion was you know, totally, you saw it, you see yeah. it totally yeah. the opposite. Yeah, exactly. Of that. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, we make him out to be some kind of diseased mongrel right. dog, you know, with the mange kind of thing, but that in all likelihood was not the case at all. Um, and last week Andrea said that he may have been a member of the Sakari, yes, yeah, very possible, yeah. So the descriptors that are used in the Gospels to describe him, he's a rebel, murderer, uh, insurrection, notorious prisoner, and a robber are terms closely uh, resembling the characteristics of social bandity. He's a bandit, okay? Another word for it is a brigand or brigands, which is like our word gang, all right? So um, let's talk just a little bit about, about this, about brigands and how that works. So this is what historians tell us, um, that in an agrarian farming society that is very poor and subsistence level, when they are oppressed, by a foreign power or by a local ruling class, they're, they're adding misery to an already difficult situation. And that some men are forced to take violent action to survive. And so these brigands, and let me get my, my pointer out, this is, this is what how Barabbas is described in John's Gospel for Abbas, Lestes, Lestes, and the Lestes are robbers, but here we go, he's not a thief like a shoplifter. That's not what the word Lestes means. It means he's, in, he's an insurrectionist. It means he's a brigand. It means he is taking matters into his own hands to fight against Rome, okay? And there were packs of men, there were troops like a platoon of Jewish men who had had enough, who were doing subversive work to try to overthrow uh, the Romans. And in fact, one, in, one historian describes them as engaging in guerrilla warfare tactics, very tactical, get in, get out, do serious damage and flee so that the, the, your opponent can't retaliate. And they said they would wreak havoc on the Romans. They would cause so much trouble. So they were a thorn in the side of Rome, these brigands, all right? Now, because it says that he was a notorious prisoner, it's arguable that he is one of their leaders, possibly an elite leader, high-ranking, very smart, very tactical, and he was a troublemaker. In fact, based on Matthew's gospel, there is a riot that has started in Jerusalem, not like a few days earlier, hey Darby, a few days earlier, and it's possible 
that being one of the Sakari, he or one of the men that was assigned targeted someone and intentionally murdered them in order to start a riot right before Passover. And it just so happened that arrests were made. Now, the two cats that were crucified left and right of him, they're also called Lestes. So here we go. We're not talking about two common petty thieves, you know, street thugs. We're not talking about that. We're talking most likely very desperate, even elite men taking matters into their own hands because they're sick and tired of Rome. And they were arrested along with him. And they're also crucified. Does that make sense? Okay. So let's talk a little bit about some revolutionary movements to help us just kind of bear up under the weight of how serious uh, this was. This is going to be some hard information. Um, so Lisa, kind of cover your ears. Just a bit. <laughs> All right. Let's think about a timeline. And what we want to do is paint a picture of the cultural stress and the cultural tension that surrounded, enveloped Jerusalem. It is 4 BC. Archelaus massacres pilgrims, Jewish pilgrims, during, of all, of all events, during Passover. Here's what happened. Um, the Jews were preparing the unleavened bread and the, all the, the materials for the Passover and they were so enthusiastic that an innumerable number of people were converging in on Jerusalem. There are more people than the police can manage. Think of it that way. And so the police, the Romans, begin to panic. Now the rebellious people who were lamenting and angry because Judas and Mattathias were murdered just earlier because of Herod bringing in a pagan eagle symbol into the temple, and there was a big fight about bringing something unclean into God's house, that things began to stir up. This frothy social unrest, and Archelaus was afraid that something dangerous would spring up from the fanaticism, so he sent a company of legionnaires into Jerusalem under the command of Achilliarch, the same name, the same commander, that led the arrest of Jesus, okay? We're talking some pretty serious soldiers are coming in to deal with this, all right? So they move in, and Archelaus gave an initial command to keep this thing under control and to stop, quote-unquote, the madness. Well, guess what? These rebellious people who were upset at, at the, the brutal murder that took place just earlier, they got so upset, they were so outraged when they saw Roman soldiers coming into this pastoral event that they attacked the soldiers. They stoned and killed several, wounding some who fled and ran back to Archelaus, telling him everything that just happened. What do you think came next? The wrath, oh, the wrath of Rome came down. This is 4 BC, 3,000 men were killed by the cavalry, they brought in mounted soldiers into Jerusalem. 3,000 people were dead. Okay. And those who could escape ran into the hills. All right. That's 4 BC. Uh, another event in, in, in the BC area, we, we don't know a, a guy named Thutis. There's two of them. 
uh, he caused trouble and uh, was caught and he committed suicide. 4 BC, again, there's more trouble. Varus, the governor of Varus comes in, so sick and tired of the upset, upset. you ready for this? Crucifies 2,000 people. This is right before Jesus is born, okay? This is, what, this is what's going on politically. AD 6, do you remember the census? Quirinius gave a census. This is related to this census. Judas the Galilean is so angry that Judea has been annexed by Rome, and Rome goes in to take a census of all the people and all the property. Do you know why? A major heavy levying of a tax is now falling on, on Israel, and he is so angry, he leads a violent mob and, of course, is caught and is executed. All right? That's 86. I could go on and on with this kind of stuff. It gets worse. Um, the uh, 80-36, a Samaritan tries to do the same thing. Uh, 80-40, Caligula, the, the, the emperor comes in, tries to put a statue inside the temple. More rioting. 80-45, um, another guy named Thutis, known as the magician, he comes in, he gets a following, he tries to lead a revolt. He takes everybody outside of Jerusalem to go to the Jordan River and wait on the opposite side and pray that Yahweh would part the waters. This is during Passover here too. That Yahweh would part the waters so they could march in and take the city like Joshua or like Moses during the Passover and the Red Sea parts. Can you see this? The religious fervency and the political tension of the day. 8066, the Roman procurator Florus comes in and crucifies 3,600 Jewish dissidents. That's what's going on. You add constant oppression with taxes, the oppression of Roman people, and the belief that, that Rome is like a, like a demon inside the body of Rome, you know. Their borders are corrupt. They've got unclean Gentile dogs inside their borders. And you add poverty by heavy taxation. And men, not unlike us, we've had enough. And now because of this, these men became Robin Hood kind of heroes. Because in, like, in one, one writing from Josephus, these men would come in and constantly hound the Syrian border and, and again, wreak havoc with the Roman soldiers. And they would literally take from the rich and give to the poor. Would anybody here steal for your family? Don't answer, don't answer maybe, or, you know? If, if my wife and children get that hungry, I would resort to some things. I think it is within me to do desperate things when desperate times call for it. I think we all would, you know. This is what's going on. So uh, he is, let's face, he is an insurrectionist. He's a political activist. He's subversive, and he's had enough of Rome. Make sense? Okay, now, just a little bit more here. Um, here we go. Here's some conclusions uh, about him. Um, Pilate didn't refer to one Jesus. Let me explain what that means. There are some radical scholars 
who think that Pilate didn't understand, uh, couldn't hear well as the crowd is shouting, crucify him, crucify him. We want, um, you know, give us Barabbas, you know, and, and not Jesus. You have to understand, think of the languages that are, that are being spoken. They're speaking Hebrew, they're speaking Aramaic, and Pilate, obviously his native language is Latin, and most likely he was fluent in Greek. Can you imagine all of those languages hearing people shout things? All right? And they're saying, give us Jesus Barabbas, Jesus the Son of the Father, and, you know, crucify Jesus who has a charge, the Son of the Father, you know, the one that's a political troublemaker, the one who thinks he's the king of the Jews. So some radical scholars say there's no, Barabbas is no such person. You know, well, I think that's completely wrong. Uh, Pilate didn't refer to one, to one Jesus, you know, with two different concepts. There are two men there. One is Jesus Barabbas, but there's Jesus the Nazarene as well, Jesus Christ. Secondly, Bar- Barabbas did, in fact, belong to the Sicarii or to a brigand group. Uh, he is possibly a leader or the leader because he was notorious. He may have been the famous leader of a group, and he's, he was arrested based on the reference in Mark 15, 7. He probably had secret supporters inside the crowd in the Praetorium. Think about that. The network of the brigands was pretty elaborate. So there are some people in the crowd who want Barabbas released because he's the leader of the Sicarii or of the brigands, not because they don't like Jesus. They just want their man out because they, they're tired of Rome. Does that make sense? There's probably some men in the crowd, at least that way. The irony of his question is unrelenting. Shall I release Jesus, the son of the father, or Jesus, the son of the father? Which one do you want? And of course, they choose Barabbas. Now here, this is something that's interesting. There's a, there's a record in, in the historical works about these zealots. And there's an instance in which their war cry, their watch cry, war cry is no master but God. And then look how it changes during the crucifixion event, the trial. These Jews, these key Jewish leaders are saying, we have no king but Caesar. But from the zealot perspective, mm-mm, we have no master but God. Look how far they have compromised their commitment to Yahweh to be able to make that their watch cry as opposed to the other. Now, again, how passionate are these people about their faith and about the, the, the word of God and Yahweh? There's a story about brigands that were being a, a whole band of... Now, remember, their wives and children are involved in this, that they were being hunted by the Roman army, and they fled to secret caves. And it's recorded that under Herod's leadership with his, with his soldiers, he dispatched these soldiers to send down men in ropes, with, with ropes, in kind of basket-like wooden chest kind of like devices with weapons to lower them down the cliffs 
right over the mouth of the caves to come in and slaughter the brigands who are hiding out in these caves. And there's a story of an old man with seven children and his wife. And they're, they're threatening him and they're just saying, hey, look, Herod's going to give you some protection if you'll just come out. He refuses. And as the story is told, all of his children die. His wife dies and he dies. And he says, here's his famous line to Herod. I would rather die than live in slavery. And that's his assessment of what he thinks of Rome. So in other words, do you see how desperate these guys are? They're really, really desperate. Now, let's push it just a little bit. Uh, and I'm only doing this just for effect, okay? Just to kind of appreciate cultural pressure. What if there was a census in our time? And what if the government wanted to find out if you had any guns in your home, if you had any weapons? And they want to know if they're registered. Would that irritate you? Would that be a little bit of a problem? Sure. Do you think that's kind of a none of your business thing? Do you realize that those, those political pressures are actually starting right now? Connecticut, New England, California. No, we're talking about just a, a gun or two in the house. You know, what if it goes farther than that? Uh, they're conjecting that they're trying to pass a law in California making it illegal for anyone in public, just a public layperson, a common citizen of the state of California, or a licensed psychotherapist to say anything negative about gender-related issues, about transgender persons, about persons with sexual reassignment surgeries, homosexuality, and any forms of non-traditional sexual expression. And to, to speak negatively about that would be a criminal offense. California, right now, we're talking about it. Now guess what? What do you think that would do with a little product called the sale of the Bible? Just any Bible bookstore, any bookstore. Any, anything, look what it's gonna do. Now I'm telling you, this is our time. This is going on right now, makes sense? All right, so, so here's my fun question for the night. How far are you willing to be pushed? Where's the line? Where's the line? If you get the full backstory, like I have, and it's been a rich study for me, and you know, I've learned some of these things, but you almost forget it through the years, you gotta relearn it. But uh, the political pressures of the day were unrelenting and brutal. Now, can you appreciate now, maybe a little more, why the 12 disciples really wanted Jesus to come in and become this new messianic hero, the new David that would, that would lead Israel in a massive military campaign against Rome. Rome would be expelled, the, the demon would be exercised out like the man who had so many demons in him. They were called legions. It's all about the presence of Rome. And finally, Israel gets her land back. And the, the pressure of that being so great that men are willing to die, even to watch their wives or children die, and say, this is better than being a slave with Rome. Can you imagine? So getting that cultural backdrop is pretty powerful, right? And ca can cause us to appreciate much, much more what's going on, and especially the the cutting 
what's called Johannine irony. There's irony all through John's gospel that uh, they're choosing a political revolutionary playing on the name Yesu Bar Abbas. God, Jehovah delivers son of the father. They're choosing the political troublemaker, the, the insurrectionist against Jesus, whose very, his very indictment is that he in fact is the son of the father. In fact, if you do a search on the word father in John's gospel, it's just, it's all over the gospel. The father sent me. The father told me to say this. The father told me to, I and the father are one. And it's in John's gospels that the, the, the Jewish leaders say, we have a law. You can't make yourself out to be the son of God. <laughs> and that's the very name of the guy they're picking, Bar Abbas, son of the father. Unrelenting. So, okay. Uh, you want to jump right into Pilate? You guys okay? All right. Let's do Pilate. This is interesting. So uh, it's, in, it's in John 19.38 that we have the last reference to Pilate in, in the Gospels, right? In John, certainly. So who is this guy? Well, he's the fifth prefect of Judea and came to the appointment in the year 8026. Now, because of all that he did wrong, there is a strategic complaint made by a Samaritan to Vitellius, prefect of Syria, and Vitellius' efforts to calm Jewish anger and fear, Pilate, because of that, was disposed at the end of AD 36, or around, right around the beginning of AD 37. In other words, he got ratted out, and the Caesar called him back. You get to Rome, we gotta work this thing out. And he went to Rome, uh, March, he arrived in Rome after Tiberius' death, March 16, 37 AD. Okay. So this is how his personality is described by, uh, by historians. In respect of his corruption and his acts of insolence, he was rapine. He was, he was mean and brutal, is what that means. He had a habit of insulting people. He was cruel. He was involved in continual murderer and murders. Okay. He uh, was a most grievous form of a human. He was very inhumane, exceedingly angry, and at all times a man of ferocious passions. He was hot-headed. He was a hot-headed man and couldn't control himself. So this is what Eusebius writes about him. This is really interesting. It is proper also to observe how it is asserted that this same Pilate, who was governor to our Savior's crucifixion in the reign of Caius, whose times we are recording, fell into such calamities that he was forced to become his own murderer and the avenger of his own wickedness. Divine justice, it seems, did not long protect his punishment. This is stated by those Greek historians who have recorded the Olympiads in order, together with the transactions of the times, Schwartz, who gives credence to the report of Eusebius, indicates Pilate committed suicide in AD 39. Okay. Now, according, this is interesting, stay with us. According to the apocryphal book, the apocryphal book of the Gospel of Peter, 
Pilate withdrew after he washed his hands, Linda. He withdrew from the legal process. Herod Antipas took over and finished out the, the adjudication of the crime. Okay, Pilate steps out. He can't handle it. This, this, is, this is beyond him. And remember his wife warns him to have nothing to do with this man. I suffered greatly in, in dreams about it. All right, one more. Check this out. It is Tertullian, one of the great apologists, of the, the, one of the great church fathers, early church fathers, who says that Pontius Pilate became a Christian. This is what he says. At the same, this is during the, the day Christ died. Remember, the, the sky darkens. At the same moment, uh, daylight was withdrawn, though the sun was then making the middle of its course. Those who did not know that this had been prophesied with regard to Christ thought that it was an eclipse. And yet you have that overshadowing of the sky recorded in your secret records. Then the Jews took him down, laid him in a tomb, and further surrounded it with a large band of soldiers to guard it carefully, lest his disciples might remove the corpse by stealth, because he had foretold that on the third day, he would rise again from death and thus escape those who suspected them. All these things with reference to Christ, Pilate, who himself also in his own conscience was now a Christian, reported to the emperor Tiberius. So he converts to Christ, gets in trouble, Vitellius rats him out. He's converted to Christ at this time and he goes back to Rome when, and when Tiberius is reigning. But didn't he say he committed suicide? The question is when. The question is when. And so, and here we've got a lot of historical stuff that we're, you know, we're, we're trying to stitch together. And look at this. Let's, let's tie it off. Pilate's wife is unnamed in the New Testament. And yet, the Eastern Orthodox Church records that her name is Procula, or sometimes Procla. The Eastern Orthodox Church beatified her. This, this means made her a saint, okay? Where she has power to pray for you and help you out. Her date, they celebrate, her date is October 27. The Coptic Church, the Egyptian Church, honors Pilate and Procla on June 25th, making him both a saint and a martyr with her. <laughs> now, we have to be careful here, okay? All right? Just because we can grab some ancient historical references uh, doesn't mean we've, we've somehow, uh, you know, nailed it in what happened historically. But it is interesting, and this is the historical data, okay? I'm, I'm, I've given you what's out there, what's available, unless some cool monk finds a manuscript somewhere that nobody else has found before. Uh, you have the data as presented tonight that there are, there are references coming down to the second century, late first century, that are arguing that he committed suicide, he was ratted out by, by Tellius, and that uh, Tertullian, and I'm telling you, that's like saying Ravi Zacharias of the day. That's a good way to get who Tertullian is. He's the Ravi Zacharias of his day this great famous apologist. He says he became Christian. Now, 
Do you take the words of Tertullian to be the gospel? No. But I'm telling you what, we make conclusions about history on far lesser evidence. <laughs> right? <laughs> we, some, you read something in Wikipedia or Britannica or anybody who says a reference about you know, native settlers of Arkansas, and you're like, well, that, that's what happened. You know? So Tertullian, who was the leading apologist of the time, says that he became Christian. But soak that up. See what you think about it. Contemplate it. Did he, did, now remember about suicide, that there was an honor aspect to that that we do not have in our culture? To us, it's wrong. You do not commit suicide. There's no honor in that. And we hold dearly to that because we believe life is sacred. Well, we, we don't live in an honor-shame culture. Okay? Uh, they did. It is better to die than face certain things. It's possible Again, let's try to stitch the, the data together. The shame, the guilt the, the, that he didn't do enough to protect Christ. Three times in John's, in John's gospel, I find no guilt in this man. Eventually going through a legal ritual where he publicly washes his hands, shows his hand to the crowd, establishing innocence. And by the way, should legal proceedings have been, been done in order, the trial was over at that point. There is no execution because he's declared innocent. Okay? But the Jews cornered him when they said, he says he's a king. We have no king but Caesar. And anyone who's a friend of Jesus is not a friend of Caesar. At that point, he is, he is manipulated in, in the most profound way that that can happen. He literally can't get out of it now. He is in its neck deep. And the only recourse he has is to engage what is called the, 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 Paschal, the Passover privilege. And that is, can we, can, let's do a workaround. We have a custom of releasing somebody. Can we at least do that? And they said, sure, but release the other son of God, the other Jesus. And at that point, uh, I, don't, I, I, I don't see a lot of evidence, uh, Steve, Lin, uh, Linda, that, that Herod stepped in at that point. There's no reference that I have that gets, gets it close to that date. Um, but the trial is over. The Jews take take over and there's a crucifixion. Uh, he's ratted out for his hot-headedness and the bad decisions he's made. Um, my hope is that this is true. I want it to be true. I want this to be true. I'm that kind of guy, you know? I want it to be true. Um, and wouldn't it be amazing if it was? When I read it last week, I sensed how frantic he was. Mm -hmm. Because Again. Again. Yeah. 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 I think his guilt is that he chose a career over protecting Christ. Now here we go. Let's be careful with our theology. 
because you want to run, run right to a sovereign, that Calvinistic idea, well, but it had to happen. You know, it was all planned before the foundation of the world, which is true. <laughs> of course it's true, right? But let's not forget, real people, real humans with real emotions are playing this thing out. I'm just trying to say, feel the tension. Just feel the tension, that's all I'm saying, okay? Um, it's just like uh, Judas who, who betrays him with a kiss. Yeah. Yep, we can do the Calvinist route and, and wave that banner and say, well, it's no big deal, he had to do it. Well, you've just dehumanized the moment, like Judas is some robot and he has to betray Christ now and we, we lose the heart and behind it all. Right, right. So it's, and this is called, by the way, pathos, the heart, the guts, the strain and pain of what's happening, the pathos of the moment. And it's good to feel it. So, um, all right. So there you have it. Yesu bar Abbas or Yehoshua bar Abbas and Jesus of Nazareth and then Pilate and Procula or Procla, his wife. All right, you're the gifted body of Christ. What do we do with this? How do we pull it into our world? How do we learn from this? What's wisdom? This is fascinating, and you look at the perspective. The Jews have basically been in a state of rebellion ever since Rome showed up. Absolutely. You nailed it. And here is Barabbas, who is well-respected yes. and possibly a leader of a bona fide rebellion to get rid of uh, Rome, yep. as opposed to Jesus, who is a troublemaker for the temple. He is creating unrest in the hierarchy. What better way of getting double your money's worth? You're getting rid of somebody who is a threat to the, the priest, and you are getting back a leader that may free you from Rome. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. And one Jesus pursues change through violence, mm -hmm. the other pursues change through nonviolence. Through salvation. Through, through a sacrificial death. In other words, Jesus is dying for them where Barabbas is making others die for him. You know, so it's, it's complete reversal. Complete reversal. Now, let's push this a little harder. You know, we showed some sympathy toward Pontius Pilate. Should we show sympathy for the temple aristocracy, the Sadducees and scribes? Those who are responsible for the internal workings of Jerusalem? Could we show some sympathy for those guys? Sure. Why? Sure, exactly, exactly. But remember the trauma timeline? I mean, I, there's more. I don't think you want to hear it. There's one, there's one military leader by around 80, 70, you ready? Crucifying about 500 men a day. This is, this is the final siege to level Jerusalem where Jesus said regarding the temple, not one stone would be left upon another. Wouldn't, wouldn't you hate to live in that world? 
You ever see the footage of Syria right now and the bombings in Syria and what Assad is doing and how it's displacing people? Can you imagine that right now military forces could launch into your neighborhood and engage in killing anybody that was a Christian? Do you think that would affect church attendance? Just a few, just pick a few strategic churches. Send in, send in some troops. Kill some folks, executional style, right on the altar of the, of the church. This is what you Christians get. And then arrest half the deacons, half the church staff taken to prison. Do you think that would affect church attendance? <laughs> you bet it would. That's where they lived every day. And what if you were responsible to keep the peace because you didn't want any more killing? You didn't want any more arresting, and you've learned, okay, peace by compliance. We get to keep our little laws, our dietary codes, and do our religious thing, but we just pay heavy taxes, and we, we just keep things quiet. Can we not have a peaceful Passover, please, without some knuckle-headed rebel, some young man who thinks he's had enough, thinks he's a new Moses figure? Can we, just, can we just get through this season without any trouble, please? Has there not been enough bloodshed? There's one historian that describes the bodies on the pavement around the temple. Can you imagine if those images were fresh and raw in your mind? And you're just thinking, please, no more trouble. And then as Jesus comes along and starts stirring up trouble, talk about a perfect storm. When like the zealots who say, no master but God. The opposite. Our, our king is Jesus. And we will die for him. We will be willing to lay our lives down. And greater love has no man than this. That he would lay his life down for his friends. Absolutely. That's why, and the church or, or the state will not, will not dictate a religion. It will not, it will not do that. I think a danger though in the country nowadays is sure the state may not interfere, but this culture and society definitely is interfering. Oh yes, yes. And I've seen reports recently where people can't have stances or freedoms of speech without getting assaulted by the opposition. Mm -hmm. like they don't even get a voice. Mm -hmm. They'd rather just tell them to shut up yeah. and stick with what we do instead. Yeah. Kind of like in this situation. So yeah. Yeah. I think it's going to be important for us to take stances for Christ, but then also prepare yourself for those big moments. In the, in the moments, the smaller moments, you know, side with God more in those moments and then yeah. build up the courage. Yeah. And know that this yeah. body will <clears throat> Agreed. Agreed, Philip. Agreed. Did you say that Pontius Pilate went back to Rome and told the emperor that he was a Christian? No, 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 no. We, we actually don't know that. Okay. He went back to face uh, punishment. And one scholar argues it's possible that he was exiled to France, the, a remote area. But, but again, it's, boy, the historical data, Terry, is so slim. It's, it is sparse. Just 
Oh, he did. <laughs> he did, and, and it wasn't good against Pilate. I'm sorry, not Josephus, Eusebius. Eusebius had a pretty negative take on him. But others, though, they, they exalt him. And they, for him to be appointed as governor of mm -hmm. Judea, mm -hmm. he had to be within the power elite. He was. He was a powerful man, very smart man. Very smart. But hot-headed and impetuous. Absolutely. So... Yes, exactly, exactly. So being part of the hierarchy, uh, when he goes back to Rome, even if he is in trouble, he's not in too much trouble because I'm sure he's still got family connections, power, powerful yeah. connections and whatever. I would think so, Terry. And it is true, historians agree what you said earlier, the moment Rome annexed Judea. It was nothing but trouble. Before the Common Era, before AD, and right up until Rome had had enough. And by the final, the end of the Jewish Wars, which finished out in early AD 70 with the fall of Masada. You familiar with Masada? Yes. That was it. In Rome, Darby, I don't know how, what's the data? Rome spent months and months with unreal military forces and re resources to build a siege ramp against Masada. You should see it. It's fascinating to look at. They built half a mountain to get to the top of Masada to get the last zealot holdouts. They, were they built half a mountain. It's unbelievable what they did to get to this. That's how mad Rome was. They'd had enough. Of, of the Jewish problem. They don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And by the way, scores of them committed suicide in Masada. I'm not sure the, the final count, but I think almost all did. So. so lots of practical questions are begged. Where's the line? Where's the line? And if you're pushed up to it, would you be willing to take a stand? Desperate times, desperate measures, you know. And by the way, can I, can I really make fun of ourselves for just a minute here? We feel pressure when we have to pray before dinner in public. <laughs> Such a burden. And we actually, and that's for real. We feel a little unconscious, or a little, little awkward, little. Just say it real quiet, dear God. Thank you for this food. In Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, that was over. We're done. You know. Oh, but I really sacrificed my faith today for the Lord. You know. We honestly, I'm telling you, that's how far we are off course. That we have to find some gumption to say thanks before a dinner. So, where's the line? How would we handle that kind of pressure? Uh, are we, does Jesus embarrass us? Are we, are we secretly ashamed of him? No.
<laughs> there you go. There you go. There's, uh, and I say that because uh, I've never been afraid of confrontation. Right. <laughs> I don't want to start anything, but hey. Right, right. Uh, but yes, I understand why people are afraid in today's politically correct society. Is an atheist or a Muslim or somebody afraid, uh, going to complain to the management at Starbucks that somebody is praying over their mm -hmm. bagel? Absolutely. Do you want that hassle in your life? Sure, sure. Anybody see the headlines in uh, Arkansas Democrat that there's now the state's being sued for having the Ten Commandments on yeah. government property? Oh, it, it was just matter time. It's matter time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This is the one that they replaced because some clown ran into the first one with a truck. Which I think possibly was very deliberate and knew that it would get it get it stirred up. So much so much of this is political activism, by the way. All that hula over that, and yet the Supreme Court justices sit beneath it, don't they? In the Supreme Court justices, <laughs> you know, it's supposed to be. So, where's the line? How far are you going to be pushed? How would you respond? And uh, these are these are serious questions, you know, that we can ask ourselves. Um, okay. businesses in the United States that have they've lost their business or they're being sued. Mm -hmm. They're being ordered to rego uh, re-education. Indoctrination. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. it's, mm -hmm. it's already, you know, in the United States. It's here. It's here. Yep, it it's is. It's just a matter of time. Yep, exactly. 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 And you hear enough of those cases that the average pastor goes, ooh, I'm a little scared. I wonder why don't we run into danger? Why don't we run into it? Sure, why sure. Why don't we fly out there and surround those people? Exactly, and yeah. Why aren't we doing yeah. that? And I'm, I'm one of we. Sure, so sure, yeah. And then you have this idea of uh, that we are, look at, look at Jesus' language in the Sermon on the Mount. Is it activist language? No. No. It's very passive, very gentle. If, if, that, if that unclean Roman dog demands that you, you carry his backpack a Roman mile, what do you do? Carry it too. You carry it too. If he wants your, your, your jacket, you give him your shirt as well. It's an ethic of nonviolence. And yet, you know, we need to storm that little mom and pop cake shop and protect them and fight for them. You know. By the way, th that is happening in case you don't know that. There's uh, ACL, uh, the ACLJ, and some of the folks are all, yeah, they're helping them. Well, that lady, was it Tennessee or Kentucky that refused to marry homosexuals? Yes. She went to Right, 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 right. Who would have thought we would have that happen? Absolutely, yeah. So, uh, 
We are, wow, we are living in a, uh, uh, in the words of John Cleese, no kidding, one of the former Monty Python stars, welcome to the first century. Yes. Seriously, and he was, that he was making a political comment. He wasn't telling a joke. He said, welcome to the first century. This is Rome. So the whole point of this, because if we're thinking about this as Greco-Roman biography and the parade people in front of Jesus and how he reacts and what's mm -hmm. going on, what's the whole point of this? Like we just figured out all this stuff and now we're going off on these other things that I feel like are not really the point of the text. Yeah, yeah, keep going. Because I'm looking at this and like the whole context is saying like he's innocent, he's innocent, he's innocent. I don't see anything wrong with him. Like the whole point is Jesus broke no law, not of man, not of God. Mm-hmm. And saying, and so I feel like this is more about John underscoring the fact that Jesus did absolutely nothing wrong. The spotless Lamb of God. Absolutely, absolutely. So you ready? Let's let's take it to a fine point. If we're not careful, we want to become Barabbas. We want to be the Sakari. We want to join the brigand group. We want to sign up, and we want to punch the liberals in the nose or whoever we think the troublemakers are, you know? Well, wouldn't that be who we were when we did the Revolutionary War? Absolutely, absolutely. We want, we want to bloody somebody's nose. We want to fight back. And there you go again. Where's the line and how far do you have to be pushed? For example, uh, Voice of the Martyrs uh, on their, their newsletter front page, A Precious Family, Mom and dad and, and two precious kids, Boko Haram, come up to the door with AK-47s and said, you will recite the creed of the Muslims and confess that, that Muhammad is, a, is God's prophet. He said, no, I won't. They shot him right in the head, right there in front of his family. Now, miracle of God, he survived. I know that's radical, and who's going to do that to anybody here in Little Rock? Now, come on. Well, I, I doubt it will happen here. Maybe not yet. But the fact is, Michelle's on to something. We can, be, we can be a candle not on a lampstand. We can be salt that is worthless because there's enough carnality and worldliness in us. You can't tell a Christian apart from a, from a lost person. By the way, we're living our lives. Right? Or what's that? We're not speaking, which means the candle's under the bushel basket. It's under the bed. Yeah. Yeah. So. so. Hmm. Paul said. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And they will know we are Christians. By our Glock 40 caliber. <laughs> our Glock 40 caliber pistol. Now, why do we have to go all the way from passivity to the Glock? I know. <laughs> There's stuff in the middle. I know. There's stuff in the middle. Okay, our, our slingshots. Our slingshots. They will know we are Christians by our King James translation, which is the real word of God. That was a joke. It's not the real word of God. Okay? It's not. You bet. 
to pay every retirement, whether we need them or not. They take them every day. Yep, yep. They'll know we are Christians by our love. What's that? That's what happened in the Absolutely. Absolutely. Every culture, they take them away and they redeem them. Absolutely. Absolutely. So. There was a, a church down south, Christian church. Not sure what denomination. But after the church shooting in Texas, they put a sign up in front of their church and said, Beware, this church is armed. There yes. are parishioners here are carrying weapons. Do not attack us. Yeah. We will meet you with deadly force. Out in front of the church. Yeah. Exactly what I said. And then it said the pastors. <laughs> Sign the pastors. <laughs> yeah. 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 <clears throat> So Paul thought this makes profound theological sense. The very thing that he received, he delivered. And he said, in the night that Christ was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Eat it. In like manner, he took the cup also after supper, saying... This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink it, all of you. And then Paul makes his own summary statement. Whenever we eat the bread and drink the cup, we proclaim his death, or we tell the story of the gospel. That's what he says. The shawl that the innocent, spotless Lamb of God has died for us so that those of us who believe, our sins are taken away. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So. Tell you what, let me pray and then when you're ready, take the Lord's Supper. Father, thank you that you sent your son for me, the biggest hypocrite of all. Lord, I ask that you cause all of us to have ears to hear, heart to obey. We would be, in fact, your disciples, followers of you, unashamed. Your son's name would be on our lips. Not spoken in whispers like we're embarrassed, but talked about with great confidence and humility. Lord, I love you and I thank you and ask your blessing as we prepare our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.